my message. All right. Well, as I was saying, the chapter 1 of Colossians dealt with the preeminence of Christ. And chapter 2 is going to go on and talk about the importance of the reason why we need to focus on Christ if we are to have a successful Christian life. As I said, there's a lot of things that pull at us, a lot of things that want our attention, and the world would have us to say, or the world would say to us, that these things that we are called to do as believers are too restrictive, that we should just do whatever we want, and they don't realize the chaos that they live in. They don't realize that God's ordinances are not to restrict us to be mean, but rather to help us reach our full potential. God created us, and if we believe that God created us, as it says in Genesis chapter 1, that He created us and breathed into us a living, uh, the breath of life, and we became a living soul, if we believe that God created us, then surely we must concede that the Creator might have a thing or two to say about how we are to live our lives in a way that honors Him. And so if you are keeping notes today, which I hope you are, um, the title of today's message is, Keep Your Focus on Christ. As I said last time, we talked about the preeminence of Christ. And today, Paul's going to bring into focus the reason why we need to keep that focus, because it is so easy to forget where our focus lies. I think it's important to remember that in the Old Testament, numerous times, I never counted them, but numerous times God says to the children of Israel what? He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the hand of the Egyptians. He didn't just say it once when it happened. And he didn't just say it a couple more times. He said it over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Because we are a forgetful people. And so, let's look at our first point, which is stay grounded in Christ. And for those who have heard me speak before, you know that I have usually have cross-references for each of my points. And I allow uh, people who are listening to my sermon to look those up and to read them for me for two reasons. Number one, it saves me um, a little extra work in, in, uh, and time in looking those up and so that I can be uh, more judicious with my time here. And it also hopefully keeps you awake if my preaching itself is unable to do so. So I hope that your sword drill finger is limber and that you are ready for that. All right, well, let's look at the first seven verses of Colossians chapter 2. Paul writes, For I would that ye know what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be comforted being knit together in love, and unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man 
shall beguile you with enticing words. For though I should be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now there's a lot here. First we talk about Paul has a great conflict. What is that conflict? That he wants to be with these Colossians, but he can't see their faith. Face. And so that he, he writes to them and he says, I, I have this urgent desire to be with you face to face. It's kind of like, as I was preparing to come here uh, over the last, as I was thinking about you guys and thinking about coming here and especially preparing uh, this week and yesterday, yesterday to be here, I thought about how exciting it was going to be to see you guys again. I love when I get to come to a church again and again so that I can catch up with you, so I can see how much certain of your kids have grown up, things like that. And just being here with you is great. I appreciate your partnership in prayer and some of the donations that I've received, sometimes uh, even throughout the year, and I appreciate seeing things on Facebook, but there's something different about being face to face. And the Apostle John wrote this. I think it was in 2 John. He said, I'm writing to you with pen and ink, but I hope soon to see you face to face. Again, just underscoring this desire that these church leaders had to be with the people for whom they are ministering. And I think it's an important point because there's a, there's a part of us as a society that has more ways to communicate to with one another. If you look at that bulletin board in the back of the room, you'll see all the social media ways and different ways that we communicate via our cell phones. We have all these ways to communicate and yet we often communicate, like truly communicate less than ever before. Because you know what? If I take the time to write a letter to someone, that takes more effort. It takes more effort to write a letter, to pour out my thoughts on paper, and send it to them than it does to do a sentence here and a sentence there. And I understand that in some ways it's great to be that connected, but we need to realize that communication is not just words. Communication if we want it to be real, has to be deep and have meaning. So this is Paul's first thing. He says, I have this desire for you, even though I can't see your face, that your heart will be comforted, being knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father and of Christ. This is what God, this is what Paul wants. He wants the people of God in Colossae and the people of God at large to be united in Christ. 
Jesus said this. What did he say? He said, that he said, they'll know you are my disciples because what? Because you love one another. And nowhere should the love of God be more present than in the church of God. When people walk through those doors or the doors of any local church that believes and preaches the gospel, they should feel, first of all, the love of God. And then, why is it so important for us to be focused on God the Father and Jesus Christ? Because in Him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he says, why is it so important to focus on Him? Why are we focusing on Christ? Because people will try to beguile you. They'll try to deceive you and bring you off the path. They'll give you enticing words. They'll say, well, God didn't really mean that you had to to restrict your intimate relationships to wedlock. He didn't really mean that. But see, he did that because when you choose to go outside of that, it's chaos. There's so many broken homes and broken people in this world and especially here in the United States because they don't see the fruits and the blessings of following God's guidelines in this crucial area. And there's many others. I only point that out because that's one of my heartbeats is to see people follow God in in His blueprint for the way families should operate. And then he talks again about being absent. He said, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit. And I am joying in beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Think about this. Paul is not with them, but he's with them in spirit. You know, I think it's kind of interesting and fun that when I meet a fellow believer and we have fellowship, and then we walk away from that fellowship, we can still say, see you again. No matter if I will never see that person again on this earth, I know I will see them again because of our bond in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have this assurance that we can be bound in the Spirit with someone, whether they are here in the room, or whether they are halfway across the globe. And then Paul says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. I think there's a very key point to be made here, and that is we need to focus on our faith in Jesus Christ and focus on the Word of God. A lot of times we say, well, well, I, I want to just spend time learning about all these other religions and, and that will show me what they believe so that I can argue with them successfully. And I'm not saying that that is totally wrong. But I do think that a lot of times if we do that before we're established in the faith, we can cause ourselves to be rocked and to be deceived. So what Paul is saying is, focus on where you're rooted, 
focus on Jesus, if Jesus didn't say it, if it's not being preached as part of the true gospel, reject it. But the only way you can reject it, the only way you can reject the lie is to know the truth. So he's saying, just as I told you in chapter 1 that Jesus has preeminence, continue to walk in the truth of that. And I, I'll admit, I'm as guilty of, uh, of this as anyone, of not necessarily consciously thinking, what does God want me to do in this situation? What reaction should I have in this situation to show that Jesus Christ is preeminent in my life? And sadly, the biggest reason, where the biggest place where this comes out is at my home. The way I treat my family. I need to be the same man on Wednesday afternoon with my family as I am on Sunday morning. And I covet your prayers for that. And I would pray the same for you. And then he says, Established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Remember in Romans chapter 1 when it talks about people abandoning God's plan for relationships and going after people of the same sex. What does he say in there? He says they forgot about God and stopped being thankful and that was the beginning of the end for them. So Thanksgiving is very important. If we can look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Peter 1.3, if someone can read it when they get there. This is more about being grounded in Jesus Christ. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, to the knowledge of Him who call us by glory and virtue. Again, it's underscoring the fact that you have everything you need in Jesus Christ. So if anybody ever says, well, you need Jesus Christ plus this, then they're wrong. I remember one time when I was younger and naive, watching TV, and I got excited because there was this Christian ad on TV. I was like, and I was like, Dad, or Mom, I forget which. But I was like, they have, this Christian organization, they have an extra book that they want you to get so that you can read it with your Bible. And my dad proceeded to explain to me about the dangers of Mormonism and the Book of Mormon. And in, incidentally, folks, I, I read a book by the parents of Elizabeth Smart. And they said in the introduction, we're going to quote from the Bible, but also the Book of Mormon. And my whole, the, the whole thought of it being a supplement was shattered because they quoted 70% from the Book of Mormon and only 30% from the Bible. The Bible is the living Word of God. It needs no supplement. It needs no addition. It is complete. It is the full revelation of God. Anybody that adds to it 
is going to face God and he's going to ask them why. And they're going to have to deal with that. And for those of us who write books based on the Bible, we need to make sure that those books are truly based on the Bible and not just our philosophies. It's a very big challenge. It's a big challenge not to only preach the good news. You see, you have to understand the bad news in order for the good news to be truly good. I just want to share this story from today in the Word. It says, The great architect Frank Lloyd Wright was given the challenge of building the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo, one of the most earthquake-prone cities in the world. Wright's investigation showed that a solid foundation could be floated on a 60-layer on a 60-foot layer of soft mud underlying the hotel, which would provide a shock-absorbing but solid support for the immense building. Shortly after the hotel was completed, it withstood the worst earthquake in 52 years, while lesser buildings fell in ruins around it. People around us are falling. People who are not grounded in the faith are falling away from the Christian principles that they've been raised with. People are compromising Christian principles left and right in the name of Christ. Yes, I agree with what was prayed earlier that we often don't show enough love, but sometimes in the name of love, we fail to show the truth. Proverbs says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. If I get up here and I just kiss you and I tell you everything's okay, then I could be one of the means by which you enter hell. Surely not ultimately responsible because it's a personal decision. But as Charles Spurgeon said, if people must enter hell, let them do it by going through us first. as we do our best to hold them back from the flame. And that's a paraphrase of what he said, but that's the essential of what he said. And that's the kind of preacher that I want to be. One that does his best to hold people back from the fires of hell, because it's a real place. And nobody has to go there. Okay, our second point. Stay focused on the truth. Colossians 2, verses 8 through 9. Stay focused on the truth. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in the putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein you are also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, which hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, 
which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. I often think of the events of Passion Week and how Jesus was killed. But see, they, they thought that they killed Jesus. He told us that he, he gave his life up. He says in John chapter 10, No man takes my life from me, but I lay it down. And I have both power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This command have I received from my Father. You see, when he was setting his eyes toward Jerusalem, it wasn't like, oh, I, I, I guess if I have to do this, it was I have to do this. His disciples said, well, don't go to Jerusalem because they'll kill you. And his disciples were right. But he had to die. I saw this meme on Facebook that I thought was really good. It said, Abortion is the opposite of the gospel. Because abortion says, you have to die, my unborn baby, so that I can live my life the way I want to. And the gospel says, I died for you to give you life. And we see in this passage, again, Paul is saying, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. People try to philosophize away the gospel all the time. They talk about willpower and how, how we can be good people and how you don't need God to be good. But if I didn't have God, I would be, of all men, most miserable. God is the one that imparts the power to us to overcome sin. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Yet God, who knows the hearts of men, it says that Jesus knew the hearts of men and needed no man to tell him. The God who knew this gave his life for us so that we could be free. And we need to be focused on the truth. It says, don't follow after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and fail to follow Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. You're complete in Christ. There's nothing that can be added to you that can be added to Christ. There are, I think, I think it's India, there are some cultures that have gods and they kind of add them, and sometimes they, people say, well, I wouldn't mind adding Jesus. But Jesus is not to be added. 
He's the only. God said in the Old Testament, I am a jealous God, not willing to share my glory with one another. With another. And when the Sanhedrin asked Jesus, are you the Son of God? He simply said, I am. Where do we read that in Scripture? In the Old Testament. In Exodus, Moses says, well, well God, if I, if I go to your people and they don't believe me, who do I say has sent me? And he said, tell them I am has sent me to you. Remember in John 18, Jesus is in the garden and they say, and he, and he says to them, who are you seeking? Now he knows the answer to this question. He doesn't need them to tell him, but he wants them to say it. And they say, Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, I am, and they fall backwards. I love that story because it shows me that Jesus' words were true in John 10 when he said, I lay my life down. There was no way they could take him by force. They fell backwards when they heard him say his name. I am. And so, Paul is saying, stay focused on the truth. Everything you have is in him. And then he talks about uh, being circumcised, and not talking about the physical circumcision, but being circumcised made without hands, being circumcised in your heart. See, in the Old Testament, circumcision was a symbol that you were following God. It was one of the symbols of God's blessing for the Jewish people was physical circumcision. And often we practice that today for health reasons because God happens to be pretty smart. But it was a symbol of being separated unto God. And he's saying now you have a circumcision made in your heart. What, what is that? That has to do with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that comes for a believer. And it talks about all the things that Jesus did. It says, He, he uh, quickened you together with Him. Verse 13. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against you. Verse 14. He nailed them to the cross. We sing the old hymn, uh, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. You see, he took it. He took it out of the way. And he made a mockery of the very ones that mocked him. You know, I often think about how when Jesus was hanging on the cross, since the devil was not all-knowing, he probably thought, hey, I won. I won. The forces of evil are superior. Remember, he was the one who said, I will be like God. I will ascend to the Most High. And he's like, I finally did it. I won. But then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. We are told in Genesis chapter 3 that he would, he would bruise the serpent's head and surely he had. And one day, a day that makes the demons fear and tremble, 
they will be cast into eternal darkness where they can no longer harm us. What an amazing thing. Can we look at Ephesians 5, 6? Once again, we see the warning. This is how important these warnings are to Paul and to the Christian church. It's easy to be deceived. The the human part of me wants to say that, that I shouldn't care if someone is in a same-sex relationship. The human part of me wants to buy the lie, if they want to love somebody, let them love whoever they want. But the Bible says it differently. The Bible says, as Jesus said, that a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too should be one flesh. He said he made the male and female from the beginning. So this whole gender identity discussion, I yes, I do believe that these people need help. I do believe it's not as simple as telling them to stop. Please don't get me wrong. And they need to be loved. But God settled the truth. He made them male and female. He made the female because the man didn't have a helper. He said it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper. And he made him Eve and Adam said, this is not woman, she is bone of my bone, she is flesh of my flesh. And her name was Eve, because she was the mother of all living. This is the God with whom we have to do. He knows what he's doing. Augustine said this, he said, When regard for truth has been broken down, or even slightly wicked, all things will remain doubtful. Ken Ham and people like him often say it this way. They say, if you can't believe in the literal interpretation of the first 11 11 chapters of Genesis, you have a hard time believing the rest of the Bible. And if I can't believe that, that God was talking literally when he talked about the way that he felt about marriage, then how can I believe that he was talking literally when he said, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. When he said, For God so loved the world, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. How can I believe that if I don't believe what he said about marriage? It's very difficult to do so, if not impossible. All right, our third and final point this morning. We talked about staying grounded in Christ and we've talked about staying or we've talked about uh, staying focused on the truth and now we will finish up talking about staying away from foolishness and this particular section was extremely convicting to me because I'm the type of person that can get on to my way of thinking and thinking think it 
the only way. When I was a young kid, probably 10, 11 years old, I used to think, growing up in the Baptist church, that the Baptists were the ones that were right because John the Baptist was in the Bible. And so, so he was the first Baptist, and so that means that the Baptists were right. Now, that was a little kid's naive view, and I'm thankful that I am no longer... No, I no longer feel that way. But it just shows you how you can get something into your mind that can be inaccurate. And Paul is going to deal with how sometimes we as people uh, major on the minors and minor on the majors as a result. That's probably the simplest way to put it. So let's look at these verses. Um, Colossians 2.16 says... Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink, or in respect of any holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath day, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile, of the, beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into these things which have not been seen, which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body, by joints and bands, having nourished, ministered, and knit together, increases with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments of the doctrines of men. Which things, have in, which things have indeed a shoe of wisdom in a shoe of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Now again, there's some confusing stuff in here, but I think essentially what he's saying is we often like to compartmentalize ourselves and align with the people that agree with us and if people don't agree with us we uh, like to make a big deal about them some of the issues in which this is is uh, whether it be drinking or tattoos or things of that nature that are not expressly spoken of in the New Testament as being against or, or maybe dietary things um, and uh, the thing that I think Paul is, Paul is trying to convey here is don't get so caught up in doing A, B, C, D, and E that you forget about Christ. You see, the Pharisees are a great example of this because they came up with 613 laws above and beyond the commandments of the Lord. And Jesus said to them, you put a yoke upon the people that you yourself are unable to bear. He's like, you yourself can't even fully fulfill these things that you're asking the people to do, and you forget about me. They had Jesus in the flesh standing next to them, and they said, he is a deceiver. He is working for the devil. That's what they said about the Son of God. Now, I might not have, it might not have been easy for me to believe that he was the Son of God. I mean, the disciples themselves struggled. Let's not kid ourselves. He told them three times, I'm going to die. 
And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And it says, only after he rose did they remember his words. So we as a church have our own difficulties. But the point being that keeping the law is not what Jesus is asking for. He's asking for a heart for him. Now, if God has convicted you in a certain area, like for me as a preacher of the gospel specifically, but also partially based on the way that I have been raised, I don't intend to ever drink alcohol. I think it's important for my testimony to stay away from that. Plus, I tell people I could get a DUI at any time because I drive everywhere. So (laughs) I'm just going to uh, stay away from it. And here's, here's one of the difficulties with that particular issue is, is people say, well, don't get drunk. But, you know, I think everybody has a different threshold for alcohol. So if you are drinking and you don't have a problem with alcohol, but the person that you're with has a drinking problem and you give them an excuse to continue in that drinking problem because you have decided to drink around, then maybe that might be something worth evaluating. But as far as this goes, Paul is again saying, focus on what's important. You're dead with Christ to the rudiments of the world. So, you should live like it. And he talks about, um, again, let no man beguile you. You know, people, people do all kinds of things in addition to the Bible. Bringing it back to the Book of Mormon again, and I, I, I promise you I'm not trying to pick on Mormons, but I know from what I know about them that there's things in there about um, the worship of angels. Which, remember, if you remember in Revelation, there's a time when, when John bowed his knee to an angel and the angel said, Get up, for I'm not worthy that you should praise me. But in the Old Testament, when we see the angel of the Lord, we know that it is the, incarn- the pre-incarnate Christ. How do we know? Because when Joshua bowed before him, before going into battle, he never said, Get off your feet. Or he never said, get off your knees. As a matter of fact, he said, take off your shoes for the place where you stand is holy ground. He would not have done that if he wasn't God. When Paul and, and Barnabas, I think it was Paul and Barnabas, it could have been Paul and Silas, but when they went into that village and the people thought that they were gods and they started worshiping them and, 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 and bringing all this stuff to them to sacrifice to them Paul and his, and his partner they ripped their clothes and they said we're only men we're men who are given a mission to share the gospel with you but we're men that's what we are
need to remember that Jesus is the head. We need to hold him as the head. If we choose to, to follow ordinances, like, I, like I've done some studying and I do think that if you choose to live a kosher life, it could lead to greater levels of physical health. And if that's why you're doing it, then that is fine. But if you think you're doing it to gain points with God, you're wrong because he said, I've already taken care of that. Remember, we've already read that he nailed it to the cross. The words of men, the laws of men will die away. But the things that Jesus says will be forever. We look at 1 John 4, 1 and 2. 1 John 4, 1 and 2. And then if somebody else can be prepared after that to read Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. I got it. Dear friends, 1 John 1, 4, right? Yep. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. All right, and Ephesians four fifteen and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, so, number one, if someone is speaking, and, and I usually say this at the beginning, but I'm going to say it right now, is I encourage you to search the scriptures and to let me know if you think that there's something that I got wrong. Because, see, what I have to say is not important. But what God has to say is very important. And I want you to be like the Bereans. I want you to search the Scriptures. As a preacher, I don't feel that it's my job or my goal to spoon-feed you the Word of God. My job and my goal is to excite you about the Word of God so that you'll go and study it for yourself and say, yes, this is true, not because Andrew said it, but because God said it. And that's what I want to remind you of. And then, in our second passage, we talked about speaking the truth in love. See, this is where we get mixed up and we, do, we go to one extreme or the other. Maybe we speak the truth, but we don't have love. And we just get all vile. We think if we raise our voices, then we can get our point across. Or maybe we say, I know what they need to hear, but I love them so much that I don't want to tell them. That's a lie. If your house is on fire, do you want to know that it's on fire? If I'm your neighbor and I see smoke pouring out of your window and I come over and I knock on the door and say, your house is on fire. Or at least it appears to be because there's smoke pouring out of the back window. 
or the side window that faces my driveway. Because I wasn't trespassing in your backyard, don't worry. But uh, if, if I see that and I tell you, it's because why? Because I don't want you to lose your life or your house. When I tell you that Jesus will say to those who reject him on the final day, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting punishment. I never knew you. It's not because I want to tell you the bad news, but it's because I want to tell you the good news, which is that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. You see, anybody that knows me and, and lives intimately with me knows that I am not sinless. But God says I'm righteous. Why? Because I have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And because when God looks at Christ and sees his perfection, it pours over onto me. My life is hid with Christ and God. We will talk about that more when we come back together and, and study Colossians chapter 3. But I don't have anything to worry about because he has my back. It's the only way that I can have salvation, the only way I can be doing what I'm doing right now. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I would still be a broken, bitter young man with no hope for the future. But because of him, I have hope. Because of him, I know that he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ever ask or think. And I've seen him do it over and over again in my life. And when I get my new glorified body in the next life, or perhaps even being raptured and not even having to die, how cool would that be? Then I know it's going to be even better. Paul said, I has not seen nor have ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man which God has, the things which God has prepared for them to love. And I'm one of them. And I want you to be too. It's not always easy. I, I didn't pray as a five-year-old kid and ask God to be my Savior and then wake up the next day with a whole body. No, I prayed and asked God to be my Savior and for the next nine years I said, God, I know where my permanent home is going to be. I know it's going to be great, but Lord, you, you, what about this earthly home? What about this fact that I'm in this crippled body? I, if I didn't have this crippled body, Lord, I, I would serve you. And God said, no, you got it wrong. I don't need to change you on the outside. I just need you to let me change you on the inside. And when you do, then I will be able to work in you both to will and to do of my good pleasure. And he has done it. You see, my story is his story. Because without him, I'm nothing. DJ Mahoney says, Here's the mistake the legalist makes. He confuses his own ongoing participation in the process of sanctification with God's finished work in justification. In other words, he thinks that godly practices and good works somehow contribute to his justification. 
But God's word is clear when it says, Therefore, no one shall be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Romans 3.20 None of us earn God's approval and love by our good works. None of us can add to the finished complete work of Jesus on the cross. He paid the price for our sins. He satisfied God's wrath. The legalist allows his performance of spiritual duties to become his preoccupation and source of self-righteous pride. In doing so, he unwittingly, unwittingly walks away from the main thing. And so I leave you with a final exhortation. Don't walk away from the main thing. Don't walk away from the main thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of Paul. It's so encouraging to know that ours was not the first culture that walked away from you. That ours was not the first culture by any means that rejected you out of hand, but that you are good and that you will provide us a way to be grounded, to be built up in the things of the Lord. And now, Lord, I pray for the people of True Life Bible Church that you would be with them, be with them as they do service Sunday next week, that they would show forth the love of Christ. Lord, I'm so grateful that they do that. And Lord, be with them as they walk through the halls of their places of employment or as they raise their kids at home whatever it is you have for them to do that they would be Christ there Paul said you are our epistles known and read of all men so Lord may we all ask what are people reading from us lately I pray this in Jesus name Amen